0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business or, let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Visit sprout.ph slash payrollstartermonthly5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode.
0: The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. Visit b21.io slash hustle share and get $2 upon signing up. Also by Ideaspace, a nonprofit supporting innovation and technopreneurship as a path to nation building. Ideaspace runs an annual startup competition. For more information, make sure to sign up for their newsletter at ideaspacefoundation.org slash connect. Also powered by Podmetrics, the only analytics platform you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE.
2: No matter what playbook you have, no matter what killer idea or strategy you might think you, you have, uh, you're not going to be able to be successful without drafting that, uh, that all-star team um, around you.
0: Welcome to HustleShare. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Baityong.
1: Welcome to episode 106 of the Hustle Share podcast. My name is Ronster and I'm your host. And this episode is powered by B21 a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. We are a proud affiliate of the podcast network, Asia. But before we begin, we'd like to remind you that this podcast contains not safe for work language. So make sure there are no kids when you're listening to this. Because today we're gonna be having one of the biggest catalysts of e-commerce here in the Philippines. And his name is Mr. Paolo Campos of Zalora. And before Paolo tells us the amazing stuff they do in Zalora, he'll go all the way back and tell us how he started hustling, and how he became a magna cum laude in an Ivy League school while being the only Filipino in campus. And then he'll also share how he went back to the Philippines to become a special assistant to the CEO of Ayala Land during that time. And it gets better from here on out because he will share with us how he studied MBA in Harvard, where he became batchmates with founders of legendary Southeast Asia startups. Like Grab and Gojek And how his friendships with these founders Literally forge the tech startup community of Southeast Asia And since we're already talking about building Paulo will also share how the early beginnings of Zalora was Starting out with building an amazing team and bringing on early innovations in the e-commerce game like cash on demand and how he built a fleet to deliver their products. Paulo's also going to share the early mistakes he made and how they shifted from being growth-centric to being profitable. And get ready to take down notes because he's also going to share a lot of learnings that you can learn from and apply in your own hustle. So if you're ready to learn the hustle behind Zalora... Let's begin this episode right now! Welcome to the latest episode of the Hoster Podcast. We finally got him! I always say that it's like deja vu. <laughs> but I'm serious. I've been wanting to have this guy on the show. And shout out to Roland Ross of Kumu who allowed uh, me to be able to uh, finally get him on the show. So without further ado, let's welcome the man of the hour, uh, Sir Paulo Campos of Solora. <laughs>
2: Paulo, welcome. Hey, Ron, how are you? Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Ron. I'm super looking forward to this. i oh, uh, looking forward to uh, diving in with you.
1: Yes, and again, um, we've had a lot of your colleagues in the show before. Again, so shout out to Ari of View, and, of course, Mr. Mm-hmm. Martin Koo, now of Ninja Van. But uh, one thing in common that they always said is how amazing their experience and how much they've learned from you as an entrepreneur. Uh, and, again, also Martin Koo, uh, uh, not Martin Koo, Brian Koo, who was your, who also one of the four founding uh, members of Zalora. And they always spoke highly of you. It's like, how, what it would be like, what would it be like to talk to Paulo Campos? And then? now it's a reality. But before I get carried away, I need to ask you the million dollar question. Paolo, what's your hustle?
2: Yeah, Ron, I think my hustle is really, it's going to be a bit cheesy, but uh, helping the Philippines and helping the country. Um, you know, I think that's always been my hustle. And then, you know, as so we dive into like my career journey and stuff, like it's already pointed to just, coming home and uh, doing something interesting in the private sector here at home. Uh, I think it's been magnified by the pandemic. I think we all need to kind of do our part to, to help the country during these super challenging times and really kind of threw us off of our uh, momentum, right? Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my hustle is really helping the Philippines and it always has been.
1: That's amazing. Now, um, when you say helping the Philippines, we're going to dissect that. One is the one. But before we dissect it, I need you to buckle up because we're going to ride the Hustle Share time machine. It's a little bumpy. I need need some uh, fine-tuning. But there you go. We're we're, we're back, all the way back. So I want to understand, Paolo, when you started your journey, what was it like growing up? Because I'm literally at your LinkedIn right now. And before I, my jaw drops in telling the people that you're a mania cum laude in Princeton,
2: what the fuck,
1: right? Um, I want to know the stuff before that, right? What did you do prior? And there, was there any inklings of entrepreneurship uh, that you've experienced in your life growing up?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Ron. And indeed, there, there was. Um, if you remember back in the day, you used to be able to rip CDs. Do you remember there was a time when we were still on CDs, so compact discs, uh, but, you know, of course, before you had to buy the whole album, even if you just wanted the one or two songs. Um, then at some point, there was this new technology. I remember I was in sixth grade specifically. There was this new technology that was introduced that you could now, like, rip CDs uh, and songs um, uh, virtually. So what I would do is I would... I would buy like the full albums from when I would go to the state or when I would travel um, and bring them back over. I would get the best songs because right back in the day, really only one or two songs per album are the good ones. And then I would rip them into like a compiled CD Uh and I would sell them for 500 pesos a pop. (laughs) <laughs> um to my classmates um and i and i made uh i think i made something like thirty five thousand pesos i remember um in uh in like pretty much which for like a middle school kid at the time was uh oh, it was called sounds perfect productions so oh, no had one uh <laughs> super had a name the font was wow. like this uh film roll you know like this right, film right. roll um so that was the whole thing so um, so, uh, and then just looking back, that was somehow an inkling that, uh, I, I wanted to do this entrepreneurship thing, but interestingly, I did it actually mm. kind of coming out of school and college, like becoming an entrepreneur actually wasn't top of mind for me. I came quite late into the entrepreneur game. Really? Okay. Um, and after doing a few things in kind of the, the corporate world, so to speak, first. Right. Um, but yeah, but back in the day in uh, middle school, I, uh, that, that, that was my hustle then. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And it's, that's amazing. And let's just dive, delve in a little bit again. You were a magna cum laude in Princeton University, right? This is an Ivy League school. Just to get to Princeton is already very hard. And for you to be a magna cum laude uh, in Princeton, how does one hustle to get that type of you know that that, that that type of grade because it's already hard to get in the top schools here in the Philippines. What more so in an Ivy League school and be a magna cum laude there? That just, that's just mind blowing to me,
2: yeah. And actually, one of the things you might not know, about is as uh, so I graduated from Princeton in 2005, do mm-hmm. you know that for the four years that I was there, so from 2001 to 2005, yeah. there was not a single Tagalog speaking person that I met on campus no throughout way. the four years. No other students, either above me or below me. Um, no, uh, not even teacher or staff. There were some uh, kind of phil- philams, uh who I got along with very well. But in terms of kind of that Tagalog-speaking person who uh, would have a similar, would have seen grown up in a similar way that I did here in Manila. Um, I, I hadn't. I didn't meet someone. I didn't meet anyone during that time. So, so during those four years, it really heightened my sense of being Filipino. Um, to answer your question. I mean, there's no magic formula. You just gotta uh, hustle, I guess, and uh, work hard. Um, so, I did put in the time, put in the hours. I've always also been a very uh, social guy. So, um, yeah. so uh, study groups and like uh, mixing a bit of uh, business and fun, <laughs> or, or studying and fun um, in good measure. I think mm-hmm. that, that that always helped me get my friends inside a party school too which I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, um, yeah so in general I think the no, no, no real secret. Um, uh, you just got to work hard and, uh, and, and 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 plug away. Alright, now um, you
1: graduated in 05, right? And um, there's a couple of things I want to delve into that. After 05, it's on your LinkedIn you went back here in the Philippines to work for Ayala Land to be a special right. assistant to the CEO. That it's such an amazing opportunity because, uh, again, people scoff at it, is like, "Oh, I'm just an assistant." But dude, you're an assistant to the CEO himself, and you're now going to be able to to you you know be in the same room and get in the same conversations as him. Um, what are the things you learned in that first job? I guess that you that that sticks to you till now.
2: No, it's a great point, Ron. and very insightful point. And then if I just Take myself back to that decision point, uh, it would have been 15 years ago now, um, as to what to do after college. I had a series of like investment banking jobs lined up on Wall Street. I mean, a lot of my Princeton and friends obviously end up, uh, end up in investment banking or consulting um, in, in New York or, or, or out on the West Coast. Uh, so I had those opportunities lined up, and literally I took, um, and this is not an exaggeration, um, it, it was a uh, one twentieth of the uh, of the pay uh, to, yep. to come home in order to work for a local company. I did so specifically because of the reason you mentioned, because of the crazy uh, experience that I was able yeah. to have. Um, I was the right-hand man of Jim Ayala, who's the CEO of Ayala Land at the time. Uh, he was a Princeton alum, and he actually interviewed me going from high school, going to Princeton. So I kept in touch with him. He took over as CEO of Ayala Land in two thousand right before i graduated mm-hmm. uh so uh, over the years i kept up, kept in touch with him and he invited me to come in a way be you know very much like a chief of staff role um mm-hmm. you know running around doing different things I would write the speeches organize the calendar mm-hmm. uh like a run run a series of meetings right. the one thing i did learn is how to do business in the philippines um mm-hmm. ayala and uh, the ayala group um, they really have a way of um making people mission-oriented. And the cause of the YALA group around nation-building uh, was very aligned with, as I said, my, my hustle, as I described it, right, or, or my, my my compass. Um, and what I learned during my experience there is that, you know, there's a reason these large companies become institutions in the, of themselves and these organizations become, you know, you know, really institutions, I said. Um, And then that's because, you know, there's a certain way to build a company culture. There's a certain way to make, People believe in what you're doing more than just the paycheck that they're collecting. Um, and, uh, and, and those things I could have never learned if I had jumped to an investment banking gig, right? I mean, I would have made way more money. I would have, uh, I would have, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what my trajectory would have been, but right. the insight as to how it is to work in the business sector in the Philippines. And I also didn't go to college here right so mm-hmm. so those kind of natural roots and then bonds that you would build with your your batchmates and stuff in college I, I didn't really have so establishing those roots on how to do business in the philippines how Filipino business culture works um, how to create a, a company in the philippines full of mo- motivated people who want to help The company and the country. Now, those are the things I learned from my first gig, which, uh, and then I would have done it again and again. It was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had, and it was uh, quite challenging for me to leave. Actually, correct,
1: and that's true. And a lot of here's again, this is one thing that I've seen a lot of successful entrepreneurs do. They take the most. Uh, daunting task. And it's not about the paycheck right away. Because if you cash in too early, you also stunt your growth. Because all of a sudden, it's all about the money when you're too young. When in reality, when you're young, you work to learn, not to earn. Right. And if you get the best opportunities where you the the, the upside is the intense learning that you get and the pressure that goes along with it, you're literally forged like a, a, a diamond in the rough. <laughs> Uh, I think it's in- a
2: really great point, Ron. Yeah. It's a really insightful, great point. Um, happens a lot too locally, right? I, I, I do a lot of talks at schools and talk yeah. to a lot of the graduating batches at the top schools, uh, colleges here, and I find we still somehow, we still this very cigarista mentality, if I use yeah. that word, right, where people want to like land a corporate job and, uh, and somehow that pressure from parents and pressure from family that you gotta like go the corporate route and uh, uh, that, that still is very prevalent today and, and particularly among kind of like high achievers um, and you're right though that shouldn't be the case it, you should your first job in particular sh- you should choose based on experience right yeah. not on paycheck not on uh, the, the name of the company or whatever like but, but it's got to be based on the experience you want to have um, and, and how to be able to forge Forward. and I mean the gig I was doing I was um, uh, literally arranging a management committee meeting so mm. Ayala yeah, Land which at the time was uh, the top five largest companies in the Philippines. Correct. I was like a twenty one twenty two year old like uh, rookie right and then the, getting exposure to all of these uh, different senior executives. Mm. Um, that 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 type of experience was uh, immeasurable and priceless in terms of my career development um, and then really. Uh, I wouldn't have changed it for the world even if I did uh, kind of give up a higher paying job in mm-hmm. the
1: US. Because eventually all that that, that sacrificed early on eventually will, will turn tenfold in terms of the monetary values as well. Now I wanted to ask you something uh, before or a couple of things before you ta- take our first break. Paolo, you're part of this famed, um, this, this uh, legendary uh, Harvard Business School batch of 2010. And you're there in Harvard Business School in 2008, 2010, where I know you have several classmates of here. Again, and the person that told me about this is Roland Ross as well, right? That out of your batch, a lot of uh, people now have either unicorns or amazing startups across Southeast Asia. Tell us about what that experience like uh, in your MBA in Harvard Business School and who were your classmates back then and what were the conversations uh, like when you were trying to found these, these startups that you were trying to do?
2: Yeah, no, I think uh, indeed that reflecting back. Funny enough, the pandemic uh, threw off some of my reunion plans. Ten years ago, I did graduate from, from HBS. Um, at uh, at uh, the time, it was a very exciting, exciting time. I was uh, in my mid-20s. Yeah. uh i was uh, kind of also in, in this kind of quarter life crisis mode that most people get after their first job right trying to figure out what the next step is and then mm-hmm. what uh, what i want where i wanted to plant my flag long term mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the setting so uh H- harvard business School, there's about 900 uh oh, there are exactly 900 people in each uh class uh, ninety ninety people in each section, so ten ten sections. Uh, however, uh, the people I would hang out with most would somehow be, of course, the people from around the region. So there was a group of uh, Southeast Asians, um, and then I used that term not just for the ASEAN countries, but also I uh, had a bunch of friends from Hong Kong and uh, and in uh, Greater China. But but generally the. The people from this part of the world right. of the 900, I would say there would maybe be 20 or so per class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, a minority certainly, so there was just a few of us. And so in my, in my batch, there was three of us um, uh, uh, from the Philippines. Okay. There'd be, you know, two from Indonesia, two from Singapore, mm-hmm. a few from Malaysia. So kind of uh, the Southeast Asians, uh, we would end, end up hanging out. Um, and we would just always be having a good time, right? So we would rarely talk about school or work. (laughs) Uh, Little did I know that uh, among the ranks of the people I'd be hanging out with, indeed, um, would be the founders of many of the unicorn companies that are around in the region today. Um, So uh, Anthony Tan of Grab was was with him at HBS, and uh, Nadim Marikim of uh, Gojek. I mean, we were all uh, together uh, (laughs) back in the day um and then somehow you know I'll, I'll, I'll just hang out but uh you know in addition to other uh, entrepreneurs that uh that uh might be lesser known but, but also just are very successful uh from around the region so um you know i think uh a lot of the the digital family tree in southeast asia is a very uh, it's a very commingled, uh, it's a very small world here. Sure. A lot of us uh, either went to business school together or were uh, consultants specifically uh, at BCG or McKinsey or one of the big consulting firms uh, around the same time. Uh, so, uh, and then a lot of the founders that you mentioned, Brian Koo, who's a, a good friend and one of, mm-hmm. one of my co-founders at Zalora. So we left Boston Consulting Group together, Brian and I, to start Zalora here in the Philippines. Wow. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, and uh, so so, and he later, of course, went on to work with Anthony uh, to set up Grab in the Philippines, mm-hmm. um, among among other things. So, so I think these uh, this network uh, networks of uh, of business people, former consultants, and uh, uh, MBA MBA holders, uh, somehow a lot of us are. A similar background, and then the great yeah. thing is we're somehow also still, still friends, right? <laughs> before uh, before our business and before all of the stuff we do together, um, uh, you know the, these friendships are, are are what really is the foundation of uh, of our relationship.
1: That's great. Now, uh, what before I, I we take our first break, what I want to ask is, um, at that uh, that early, couldn't you already tell? That they're gonna, there, there's something special about that founder. Because sometimes also you, you, don't know it yourself, but you know this guy eventually, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you see the results now. But back then, did you have a feeling, or what were the characteristics that a uh, Paulo Campos and Anthony Tan or an Adim uh, had uh, over how they behaved, how they did their work early on before they even founded their startups? That you know, looking back at it now, like you know what that guy. I knew he was going to make it because he was like this before. Were there were any were there signs and what were those that you saw about unicorn makers uh, that like you and uh, the rest of your your contemporaries uh, you had back then?
2: Yeah, I would say a couple of things. So one is that um, somehow that there's always a plan, right, and a vision. Um, At the time, I remember uh, this was a time right before Uber, actually. Uh, So we had not yet. it was right a few years right before Uber really spread out across the U.S. So in Boston, we were still taking these cabs, uh, like, uh, like uh, no, tab- metered taxis to go from right. campus to, to, uh, to downtown Boston to, to go out. Um, but at the time, you know, all the, all the talk was around, yeah, ride sharing and ride hailing. So, um, so I think for, for, for the two of them specifically, they were working on their idea and business idea throughout business school. Um, and so somehow having a plan and being able to go to business school to, to work on a specific entrepreneurial idea. That's always a a good piece of advice I give to anyone thinking about business school is that if you are going, you might as well go with, some entrepreneurial idea in mind mm. so that you can use the time there, whether it's a one or two year program to really cultivate and, and study the, the, the topic and the, the potential of the venture from all angles. Um, and that's something that they did, I think, quite effectively. Uh, the other thing is just around, you know, being very personable and, and so- social, right? I mean, uh, uh, as I said, uh, more than anything, um, uh, you know, all of the uh, you know, people that are, are in this kind of broader digital uh, leaders in the digital world and across Southeast Asia. That more than anything, we're we're all friends <laughs> before being colleagues or collaborators. Um, and, and that's always something that uh, that 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 I've enjoyed. That uh, you know, knowing how to uh, you know really get along with people and then build those connections, build those bridges, have people see your vision. Um, you know, you mentioned all of the people who've come and gone. In um, uh, of Philippines fans, Martin Ari, I mean these people are not just former colleagues of mine, but they 're lifelong friends lifelong friends and, and really putting in you know uh, everything of yourself and all of your you know, heart and personality and stuff to get to know people working around the common a common objective yeah. and a common goal, like building a company there 's something super powerful about that that uh, that, that's that more than anything um, you know it's really about just getting along with people and, uh, and, and being personable and, 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 so, and sociable
1: uh, right. so that's something
2: I think that all entrepreneurs need to do is right if you need to rally rally everyone around you and around the vision
1: sounds good alright now let's take our first break and when we come back let's now talk about how you made Zalora after again your, your experiences in HBS and BCG but let's talk about that more after the break planning for your next trip
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hey, guys. I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. And we're back from the break. We're still with Paolo Campos of Zalora, who then told us how he was able to now build the experiences and whatnot that he needed to, to, to build Zalora. Now, let's talk about the big thing right now, because um, obviously, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not alien to people that Zalora is a rocket internet company when it started out. Um, I actually was in a rocket internet company with my first job as well. I was in Groupon, at the Groupon side of things. Yeah. And that was intense pressure on intense pressure. And I was sales. So that's, that's uh, where the battle is. And I learned so much from that experience. But from a founder's point of view, how did you come upon the Zalora opportunity? And what was it like building it from an idea to uh, its early stages uh, when you got there?
2: no indeed so so the origin was indeed we were a rocket internet uh, uh venture capital funded company uh so the advantage here was that we were able to really um uh, take advantage of the growing e-commerce opportunity uh, you know, with funding out of the gate uh, as i said a lot of us were former colleagues in consulting across the region so brian and i uh, Again, we're in BCG together. Um, but we mentioned Nadeem earlier. Nadeem is also one of the co-founders of Zolora. Um, so even before Nojek and between HBS, uh, Nadeem was also one of the co-founders, uh, uh, in Indonesia of Zolora, for example. Uh, so, so across the, uh, across the region, a lot of us again were somehow former, former consultants and, and, uh, grouped together to set up uh, and introduced the, Laura, the Zalora platform across different uh, countries in the region. Uh, so uh, my lookout has always been Zalora Philippines and, and, and I, uh, my focus has been on uh, growing the Zalora Philippines, the uh, Zalora brand here locally in the Philippines. Um, but essentially we did the same setup across different markets around the region Um, All at the same time, there's a misconception that somehow we started in Singapore or something and then branched out to other countries. Um, It it wasn't the case. It was a very uh, multipolar setup. We launched the business across different markets within days of each other and built out these full teams that we have. Currently, we have 350 people at the Philippines now. Um, And so we have similar-sized teams in Malaysia and Indonesia and the different countries we operate in. so, the idea was to really just uh, uh you know uh, plant our flag and uh and set up an operation here. We started out with just two of us wow. um, you know I tell the story of uh, uh the initial funding that we received that uh, we uh we were walking out of a china bank uh, china bank bank with a uh, two million pesos in cash in our backpack which was the initial funding we That's received scary. and we wow. what we had to use to uh, just to to book our first office. I mean wow. we didn't have we were just setting up a company at the time and right, you know right. we were having to set stuff in cash and then figure out how to get by. Um we grew pretty quickly. Um, mm. we started out with a small warehouse at the time uh, uh well, a small building on Jupiter Street. Yes I was uh, able North to Ashi. go there.
1: Oh my yeah. god BPI <laughs>
2: Exactly. So that was our original office location. We originally had the warehouse in the basement of that building. Oh so my God. we only had it there for a couple of months, but we had a 250 square meter uh, basement space. Um, at the time, we were like, okay, this, is, this will fit a couple thousand products. Like, uh, We should be good here for, for a few months. Right. Uh, I think we, our warehouse lasted for, I think, three or four weeks <laughs> before we had to find a new space. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I mean, it just shows you how, in a way, we couldn't quite fathom how big this could get, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, we were just taking one step at a time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, knowing uh, that, you know, what the you know, implementing the e-commerce playbook, and that's where the yeah. huge benefit that Rocket Internet brought to the table is that, uh, in terms of the technology, in terms of, uh, how to build the business, that, right. that, that, that playbook had been established from other markets. Uh, so, so as such, the challenge was really then setting up an organization and a team, uh, mm-hmm. to execute, um, and to, you know, get, get, gain market share and, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Survive throughout mm-hmm. the first uh, first uh, first few months and years in right. order to get to the next set of funding rounds. Okay, um, so that that was a big challenge for us then.
1: Awesome. Now th- that's amazing because again, you you mentioned that there was already a playbook. Was that? But is there a playbook that's literally uh, you just copy and, and replicate towards it? Because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of nuances in each market. That you have to adapt to. And the most important thing is that regardless if that playbook exists, you have to get the players that's going to play the game, right? And how did you build that team in order to execute that play? Because I don't care if you're Phil Jackson, if you want to run the triangle offense. But if you're, 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 you fill your roster with a bunch of centers without a Michael Jordan, it's not going to work, right? But for you, how did you build that team that allowed you to then execute whatever that playbook was from Rocket Internet?
2: No, indeed. I think it's a great point. Uh, one, one good example there, on for example, is uh, the different payment methods that we introduced. Right. So yes. um, when we were first setting up the company, the technology platform and solution that we were working with, uh, of course, was only for credit cards. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things we said was, how can we set up an e-commerce company in the Philippines when financial inclusion generally is so low, mm-hmm. um, and credit card adoption is in the single, at the time, single-digit digit share of the population right so um so because like in the us for example if you order something from amazon you would never think of paying cash to the to the delivery guys for the product right like it was a very foreign thought then uh now it's commonplace and, it, and we're very happy to be the pioneer to introduce this cash and delivery thing in yes. the market locally Thank in the Philippines COD. um yeah, indeed. But, but it's an example of as much as, of course, we you know, knew that we had to sign up brands and that we knew we had to onboard them onto a technology platform. And we knew we had to have a warehouse where we set up e-commerce piece picking uh, and fulfillment operations uh, that localizing that for the Philippine context with our uh, particular nuance of our archipelago nature, the fact that uh, at the time, uh, third-party logistics couriers uh, that there were quite slim pickings actually from yeah. the partners we could work with. Um, so one of the things we did is we couldn't offer cash and delivery um, um, through a third-party because no third-party logistics company offered it as a service. So, uh, for example, we had to build our own Zalora Express uh, motorcycle fleet. Wow. Um, and that was not originally in the playbook or in the plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, To a point that it grew to to a point that we had uh, over a thousand riders across 20 cities. And now we've spun it off together with our partners in Ayala into a separate company called Entrego uh, Mm -hmm. that is now a standalone 3PL servicing all different e-commerce companies. Uh, So those are some of the examples of the local innovation that we had to introduce um your second point though is one i feel very passionate about which is no matter what playbook you have no matter what killer idea or strategy you might think you <laughs> you have uh you're, you're not going to able to be successful without drafting that uh, that all-star team yeah. um, around you uh that you did mention and i think the strength of ZoLora, particularly here in the philippines mm-hmm. has been the uh, incredible talent that has that we've been able to assemble uh, over the years, uh, and that we have assembled currently, um, there's no real magic. There's no secret or magic, yeah. uh, magic formula. We, uh, I've literally done thousands upon thousands of interviews over the last decade. Um, and have spoken to uh, like uh, a range of clients. We're just, we're very discriminating of course, and, and the type of talent, I think it's quite important to screen, um, screen for comp, Competency, screen for talent, screen for screen for potential, and screen for fit. Um, no matter how smart someone is, mm-hmm. if they can't get along and play play nice with others, there's no way that they're going to be successful in a startup environment. Um, so, screening for fit and screening for um, you know they call it the airport test, right? So, who can you imagine just hanging, spending time in the airport with? Um, that was very important. So. Mm-hmm. In the early days of Valora, like it was a very social company. We used to go out a lot. Right. We used to socialize a lot um, gotcha. and hang out a lot. And that was, this, that was the secret, creating, making it more than just it being a job, mm-hmm. but making it somehow a community that you don't mind spending extra time with because it's a real fun place and fun group of people to hang out with. All right.
1: Now, I have a question about, you know, okay, so drafting the right people and what, again, developing them over time. But over time, as well, especially in the early stages, there's going to be a lot of fuck ups that you're going to make. What were those that you that that really sticks out the most? That you know the biggest mistakes that you've 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 done in the early stages of Zalora, and how were you able to overcome them?
2: Yeah, certainly. I think uh, the challenge with hiring quickly and hiring at scale quickly, which we had to do also too, uh, because the opportunity was so exciting, um, is that no matter how no much effort you put in, is that if you're hiring, you know, a number of roles, and then we were at the time hiring for dozens of people all at the same time, that uh, no matter how hard you screen, that there will be kind of uh, bad apples that, yeah, bad apples that slip through. Uh, specifically, I mean, I won't share the gory details anymore, but we yeah. had uh, one one person in the team who uh, who was essentially falsifying uh, oh certain God. salary information and stuff uh, wow. so you anyone who's worked with me will know that i never get mad and that i have generally a very even feel wow. and uh <laughs> and i rarely get flustered but do that there's, I, I yeah there's just one time <laughs> no certainly like uh that's the one time i really blew my top is that uh you know there we uncovered this in- incidence of fraud wow. and uh and people trying to defraud or cheat the company um so those are some of the painful lessons that you learn um, in terms of actions, I mean, it's really important to act super quickly on any uh, transgression, right? Anything that, like, is, like, anything like that, then there's no it's second chances when it comes, yeah, there's no second chances when it comes to you know, illegal, immoral, or uh, fraudulent activity. Um, and also, you know, that's also the case with uh you know, with, with upholding and living through the company's values, right? So, so anyone that that that, that stepped out of line in terms of uh, cheating the company, uh, that that's something that uh, were painful lessons in the early going. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, I think um, the beauty of creating a uh, a long uh, a company and 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 being in in, in 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 seeing the startup grow into a mature company is that yep. the organization itself also matures. Correct. And that over time, it's, you don't actually have to police people or yeah. put out a lot of rules or whatever to, to get people to fall in line. But people care about the company, mm-hmm. about each other, about holding it, each other to account enough mm-hmm. that people will call each other out for for, for behavior. So, so I think we've reached the stage and what's been very mm-hmm. uh, uh, heartwarming for me mm-hmm. is seeing the organization evolve and mature. So that, uh, we're able to kind of, uh, you know, both be very uh, fun and supportive place for people's careers, but also keep everyone in line and ensure everyone is, uh, aligned with our values and, and our, and our, uh, you know, keep our company going.
1: That's true and it becomes like a tribal council per se right i mean now now it's not just the chief that actually polices everything it's the whole tribe or the the, the elders of the tribe that actually uh, also take care of the culture so that you know it's 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 a it's something that you do together now i have a question uh, that's very very uh, interesting uh, that, that to know because at the get go a lot of the rocket companies were using again a similar formula of growth at all costs but uh, again, to some degrees of success, of course, you're, you're one of the best successes that they've had. Now, how did that metric change from growth at all costs to become something uh, going to profit? And what are the metrics, I guess, that, that change along uh, that transition as well?
2: Yeah, certainly one of the biggest challenges for me from a business perspective has been exactly the one as you framed in fact uh there's a harvard business school case that uh our first year students would read um until, until recently around uh there's a laura philippines case and the title of the case is uh from growth to profitability um and then in establishing this path to profitability from establishing your relevance in the market which in the beginning as you said is measured by growth right by by gmv by uh, by the the number of customers you have um, shopping on the platform or transacting on the platform. Uh, but then, uh, and then also just to, to, you know, while we were the initial, the first money in with some rocket internet, uh, essentially over time, a range of other investors have joined the, uh, the Laura cap table. So, uh, while we, you know, they helped us out of the gate early on, you know, very quickly we did take uh, a life of it, life of our own. And, uh, and, uh, you know, our, our, Uh, with other investors also in tow Uh, but indeed this throughout that journey it's been about uh, ensuring that we're able to build a company that's sustainable um, and can create value for the long term Um, there's no magic formula there and uh, you know in business school while there are you know exciting examples of unicorn companies um, in reality all companies at some point have to face up to the fact that uh, the revenue model, the financial model, the profit model does need to come to light, and for for you to go from an exciting startup to then sustainable, uh, mature uh, company, while at the same time still balancing the demands of growth, because um, uh, with the market still there, you know, still it being a land grab in a way for the e-commerce market for the last few years, so we we've had to also ensure that we keep up our relevance um, in the market. Uh, so that's been a, I mean it's been an amazing challenge, and mm-hmm. you know happy to report that uh, the, that we're we're, we're we're certainly well positioned to uh, to, to complete that journey um, and and that's something that is very rewarding right because then that means that Zolora will live long into the future uh, because in terms of the core value creation that we do, bringing together brands and partners and merchants with customers. Uh, that because that, that you know because uh, we're showing increasing profitability uh, that that we show that this is something that uh, is really value adding and value creating in the long term. Um, so I think it's the biggest challenge that all startups face. It's the biggest kind of fork in the road, and uh, that all startups, no matter how exciting and and uh, sexy in the beginning, uh, this kind of profitability question does will end up rearing its head um and that's what makes it a daily battle right i mean because okay. there, again there's no secret formula how to improve profitability it's about working line by line on the pnl to optimize while at the same time growing and sweating the fixed costs um so 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 that journey from growth to profitability has been a, a super uh, enjoyable one for me as a business person albeit a very challenging one
1: okay now before we take our last break what is the thing that really you had to do? Uh, you had to be very, very particular of during that transition because I'm pretty sure, yes, there's no formula, right? Um, but there's got to be a metric that you, or several things that you that was non-negotiable in order to cross that bridge, right? Because it's a totally different strategy, right? When you're on growth, you're, you're again, there's you're a land grab strategy, right? Market share and whatnot. And this is a very cutthroat uh, uh marketplace. They have a lot of competition. But uh, yeah. th- that growth, there's yeah. got to be some compromises that you have to do. Um, what What did you do to cross that bridge uh, uh, intentionally so that you, you, you still get to
2: the to where you are? That's a great question, Ron, and I would point to a couple of things. So One is the beauty of e-commerce in particular and why I still uh, enjoy it very much is the treasure trove of data and analytics that we have at our fingertips. Uh, to be able to to be able to quickly make business decisions in an almost real time sense, um, and increasingly now in an automated sense with machine learning and other types of uh, uh, more sophisticated uh, tech solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but uh, to answer your question specifically, the control valve, as I call it, that when thinking about how to balance between growth and profitability, has always really been around unit economics, right? Um, yes. I think it's something that is very important that all entrepreneurs uh, keep laser focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and unit economics specifically. Uh, so, so you know, there are different lines across the PNL that we would monitor. So we would call profit contribution one or the PC one gross margin line. Uh, with PC one, we call it the product margin. Then you have mm-hmm. product contribution two, which is after all of your fulfillment costs. Mm. Then you you got the contribution three, which is after your marketing costs, and wow. then you have EBITDA after that. Um, so monitoring all of these different levels of the PNL to ensure that on a unit basis that the business that the growth is still healthy and that you're still making money each unit sold that's a very important like basic principle that uh, every entrepreneur needs to understand and to get to uh and and that and that somehow was always our control valve that as long as we kept being profitable on a unit basis um, uh, after every uh, all the fulfillment costs that we could keep going and keep pushing on the marketing um The second point around this is then the marketing side of the equation, Mm -hmm. which is the whole customer acquisition cost, customer lifetime value equation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, one of the things, ways we're living in a really brave new world now is that the traditional way of doing marketing, of buying TV spots or putting up a billboard and then closing your eyes, hoping hoping that people will respond. (laughs) That's long gone, right? And now each peso of... Uh, each PESO uh, marketing spend you do on the performance marketing, Facebook, Google, um, that you can measure the return all the way not down just to the impression or click data, but all the way down to the conversion, um, and ensuring that every PESO marketing spend you're plowing in is either acquiring you new customers that will pay back in a reasonable amount Mm -hmm. of time, so not Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. on, on the first time, Exactly, but on the subsequent times and retaining them, yep. uh, that, that is the other e-commerce health indicator and general digital business health indicator that uh, any entrepreneur needs to keep a laser Absolutely. focus on. Between unit economics and this uh, customer acquisition cost, customer lifetime value trade-off, uh, That there's no magic formula but those two. That, that will tell you the health of your underlying digital e-commerce business.
1: I love it. This is the type of conversations I, 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 I long for because these are the things that, you know, we can talk about superficial. Yeah, you need a team, blah, blah, blah. But it all boils down that you are a startup. You need to be to mature and become a business and the unit economics will dictate that because if you're bleeding per unit you sold, then you're down to go to, to, to oblivion because if you, if you have your health economics or if you have, I mean, unit economics that are healthy, regardless if you have a small margin, but if you do it at scale, that you're still gonna get there eventually, right?
2: Yeah, and then specifically one specific advice I mentioned the different levels of the PNL, right. um, but, but also splitting out the fixed and variable costs along yeah. each of those levels. So actually, uh, what we've done more recently is what we look at is PC 1.5, we call it or PC oh, wow. 2.5, which strips out trips out the fixed cost portion mm-hmm. of either like the warehouse fulfillment where you, the, the rent you pay for the warehouse. Um, so uh, to be even more precise, looking at uh, the variable, ensuring that unit economics work uh, with all the variable costs mm-hmm. that uh, in place, even if you're still sweating the fixed costs, Correct. that can mean that you can still keep growing. Correct. So
1: eventually that fixed cost, uh, as, again, you, you get more volume, uh, you you're eventually gonna get over that hump, but if your cogs are more than exactly
2: you
1: know, <laughs> what you're selling for, you're 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 fucked, <laughs> in in to, to say the least. All right, now Paolo, let's take our last exactly. break, and when we come back, let's talk about how uh, you can teach us more on how you can uh, be- become better entrepreneurs. But let's talk about that more after the break. Mm-hmm. business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. we're back in the break we're still with paulo campos of zalora so now it's time to now ask you about the future and what can you advise startup entrepreneurs so um let's just uh stitch the story up a little bit more so uh recently uh, the Ayala group bought 49 percent of the zalora uh of zalora i think is that the local or just that's for the whole zalora group uh across southeast asia
2: No, that would just be Zalora Philippines. So their investment is just in Zalora Philippines.
1: Did anything change when they came in? Because you said, you said, Entreglo is now technically your fleet, your old fleet before. What are the things that changed when they came in? And what are the things you also had to do personally to to adjust to that change?
2: No, it's been an amazing partnership with the uh, Ayala Group. Uh, We count among our shareholders, uh, Ayala Corp. Uh, BPI Capital, uh, Kickstart Ventures, which oh. is under Globe, um, and uh, and Ayala malls um, or Ayala uh, Ayala Land uh, through through Ayala malls. Uh, so all of these different Ayala companies we've worked very closely with over the three or past three or four years to um, introduce a, a range of different synergies. Uh, we have our different pop up stores in the malls, for example. Um, but, uh, and these are in Ayala Mall locations. You would have seen kind of this Nike pop-up we did in Greenbelt last year. Yep. Uh, we've done stuff with Abercrombie and Fitch, um, in the past, introducing them for the first time to the Philippines, uh, also in the Ayala Mall settings. Um, uh, so, so it's been an amazing partnership and we've been very appreciative of their support. Um, it's, uh, it's been tremendous being able to work with uh, the Ayala Group broadly on uh, unlocking these different synergies, and they've been very helpful in extending their full support to us. The most exciting of which was the one you mentioned that we were able to spin off uh, what was previously Zalora Express, our last mile uh, fleet, into Entrego. Entrego uh, now is one of the rising stars in the last mile logistics 3PL uh, uh, game in the Philippines, and now servicing all of the big e-commerce companies. Um, so, so that's an exciting um, kind of within the startup setting. We gave birth to another startup, so uh, nice. so we're we're happy to be to be giving birth to even more uh, uh, more horses to, uh, in the race to 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 go in the with the e-commerce uh, trend in the Philippines uh, over the next few years. Um, so, so in general, it's been an amazing ride, and and a hundred percent support. Uh, and, and and really shows the value that uh, uh, that a startup partnering with an established conglomerate, uh, what the value there could be. Having said that, also uh, you know we also work with a range of other partners, right? So we work with uh, with other Nanayala Group partners, um, and so I think just having a common goal of um, riding that e-commerce wave through the Zalora platform together. Uh, whether that means working with the Nayala company or not, I mean that's that's generally been their mindset, and, and that's that's where we're, we're very appreciative of having shareholders who, uh, who see the opportunity and see that this is not, uh, you know, a short-term opportunity, but a multi-decade opportunity that we're just in the beginning of.
1: All right. Now I'm gonna ask you the deep and personal questions about what makes you tick as an entrepreneur. So you've been uh, uh, in the startup grind now, Paolo, and you know, uh, for someone that's been around for a while, it's not a secret because I've been through this my now 10, my tenth year. I mean, this is my third startup. But there's, there are times that you fall in and out of love of your own startup, right? There are days like, holy shit, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And then there are days you just find another way to love it again. It's like a marriage, they're all the say. Now, um, I, I'm curious, but at, at this stage, what still keeps you going? What what still motivates you? Because more than anything, that's the most important thing a startup founder needs to have. It's that motivation to keep going.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great point, on, And indeed, it's a roller coaster. Uh, in terms of motivation and emotion. The Mm -hmm. type of leadership, too, that uh, has changed a lot, right? The challenge setting up the company back in 2011, 2012, to the type of job management and leadership of the company I'm doing now is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So a couple of things. So one is it still boils down to the team, right? What energizes me and what keeps me coming back to work every day um, and very excited to do so is that, really having assembled an organization and a team mm-hmm. that uh, I'm really proud of um, and that is a pleasure to work with, right? Like, mm-hmm. like part of why we set new startups is of course to meet the market opportunity and to yeah. find some unmet problems, unmet need, but also fundamentally it's a chance for us to you know, do something great with right. amazing people who you get along with, yes. right? And that's where all of the things I mentioned about uh, us being having to be very strict about uh, people fitting into our culture and the values of the company has been very important. Um, and it's a cliche, but you know I really love the people I work with and uh, showing up to work, and even in the Zoom world now these days, because we're still mostly on a work from home basis, mm-hmm. that uh, that enjoying working alongside the people you're with is very important. So my personal leadership philosophy now. Uh, is that we need to create a culture where people can make best friendships. Mm. You know, you need to find your best friend in the company yes. uh, because it's very easy for you to walk away from a boss, uh, but it's very hard to walk away from a friend, right? And from 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 a friend uh, friendships. from family because uh, eventually yeah that's exactly what
1: it is right. Um, and uh, yeah. people don't understand it from a pounder's point of view. I empathize so much that. There are days that you know what fuck is uh can I still go? You, and there's a lot of doubt that creeps in, you know, that 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 bad guy in the, the back of your head will still always be there. But the, when the first notification pops in the morning, and I know it's an email and whatnot, and it's from my team, I just jump out and like, all right, they're ready, I'm ready, let's go. <laughs> right? Because it's it's them. You live for them now, and you see to see them thrive, especially the team that you built, the ones that at your core, there's nothing like it. Again, it's just like playing, uh, you know. Again, Bill Jackson, I'm exactly, life, and you know, and I think the George challenge,
2: Biden. yeah, and the challenge is that we've all been thrown into this pandemic setting now, mm-hmm. where. Uh, we don't have any more the stand-up meeting face-to-face where you can really, you know, pump up the team face-to-face in the office or the town hall where you we yeah. muster the energy and get everyone to kind of uh, feel each other's energy. Right. So how to now carry over this strong culture and strong team dynamic into the virtual uh, Zoom world, so to speak, that has been a big top-of-mind challenge for me, and I think all startup leaders will will face. Uh, but on the flip side, there's also tremendous opportunity because if I just look at the past eight months, Zalora has been able to do unbelievable things yep. uh, on this digital basis. And that means all entrepreneurs too can do it. Uh, so, uh, so that would be really what's keeping me still coming mm-hmm. back to work and still keeping me excited about uh, being at Zalora every day.
1: Okay. Now let's go to the flip side. I, I want to ask you, so been in this grind for a while now, what would you have done differently if you had a chance? Uh, over how you did your grind? I mean, at the end of the day, we all know that there are several things. Like, oh, I can name a, a, a handful now of <laughs> what, what I've done differently. But for you, what would those be?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Ron. I mean, uh, generally, I'm pretty happy with how things have turned out. And, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I do look at back at my life and the different things that I've done and the different stages of my career. Mm-hmm. Really, all is leading up to kind of this point that I'm, I'm in now. So, so I'm, uh, but I also think that's why uh, I am able to be successful as I do. Generally, have a very positive and uh, uh, positive mindset about how how an optimistic mindset about how things turn out. Uh, but if I reflect, of course, there are things that uh, I would have uh, kind of done differently um, along the way. Uh, I think in general, investing even more time in uh, even investing investing even more time in Scaling the organization. There, there was one time, uh, for example, where you know we had to let some people go uh, because we had scaled the organization a bit too quickly. And there was one the most horrific day I've had in my career is, uh, when we had to let go of quite a few people in one day, uh, sometime That's in 2013 or so. Yeah, it was quite blood wrenching. And uh, uh, so I promised myself at the time that I would always, uh, that I would never just uh manage to numbers or to you know to manage the numbers or spreadsheets, right? Like yeah. fundamentally any business decision you make will have an implication on the people that have decided to join forces with you and, and yeah. work for you in, in, in your your venture. Uh, so being very deliberate and being very purposeful in anything that will affect hiring or resourcing decisions. Um, that's very important. I wish I never had to live that day where, mm-hmm. you know, looking at someone in the face and, and, and telling them that they had to be let go. Mm-hmm. And, and in hindsight, if, you know, it did more, uh, you know, purposeful and it scale a bit more, you know, not with this r- r- brick growth in mind, but rather more responsible growth, that's something I would have done differently. Uh, but again, I said that, 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 that uh, I would have had to think hard about right. uh, any regrets or missteps that, uh, that I mm-hmm. personally have I think everything is all part of a learning journey. I wouldn't be the right. leader or the Lord. I wouldn't be the company we are now if it wasn't for the mistakes I made and we made yeah. as a company and learned from and bounced back from. So I think it's all part and parcel of the journey. Um, and being resilient and getting up from the mistakes that we make Correct. is just as important as standing up at uh, the beginning for, for the fun early days. Okay, last question before I let you go what's the best advice you've ever
1: gotten through this whole journey? Because again, we're, we're also blessed with uh, having amazing people that give us great insight. But if there's one that really sticks out that, uh, that uh, in, 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 in just a heartbeat, you'd, you'd always run into what, what would that advice be?
2: Yeah, the best advice, uh, the best advice, uh, I've ever had, uh, that I've ever received actually, um, is that, uh, you know, you're passionate about something is if it's something you do for free. Like, uh, too often we couple our motivation and our self-worth with our compensation, or these, you know, what really should be hygiene factors, right? And then not really motivating or driving factors. Um, So why I know what I'm doing is right for what I'm, you know, and and why everything I've done has led me to this point is, I really enjoy the job I do now. And it's something I would do for free. You know, I would mm. do this on a, I wouldn't be compensated for it. Mm. Uh, and and I've been able to, I think, set it up in a way so that uh, creating this team around me and around the company, that works in a company that has a similar mindset, mm. that you can really strike upon a very uh, amazing, um, magic. It's, it's really quite magic. to are able to um, to get people working together, not again, not for something greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, specifically, I'm 37 now, so they say I'm the eldest of the millennials, right? I'm the elder millennial, um, <laughs> and all of us in the millennial like we don't really care about lifelong employment and mm-hmm. whatever like or how much money making a difference and then having purpose mm-hmm. um so so the best advice is find something that you would do for free Um. Uh, that's what i would advise any entrepreneur out there
1: all righty again thank you very much Paolo, for just an amazing episode. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app uh, you're listening to. And again, we said some jargon about the, the metric You said. It's going to be in the show notes on HustleShare.com. And don't forget to follow us in the HustleShare community. Just join us there so you can participate and grow in growing the show. And lastly, don't forget to message us on the HustleShare chatbot at m.me slash HustleShare powered by chatbotph. Again, Paolo, thank you very much. Thanks, Ron. That was
2: super fun. And uh, uh, more power to the Hustle Share podcast in the future. Appreciate it. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.